0: The Tudors Dynasty Podcast. Welcome to This Week in Royal History. I'm your host, Rebecca Larson. This Week in Royal History was created to encourage fans of the show to continue spreading out from the Tudors. Now, I don't want you to leave the Tudors by any means, but sometimes when we look outside a time period, we're presented with people, places, and events that help shed light on why things happened. Or, what the catalyst was for the changes made. But first, a quick word from our sponsor. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app. So with that, let's begin this week in royal history, the week of November 6th. This week, we begin our story in Florence with the birth of a daughter to Grand Duke Leopold, later Leopold II, Holy Roman Emperor, and his wife, Maria Luisa of Spain. Their daughter was called Maria Teresa Josepha Charlotte Johanna. But we'll just call her Maria Theresa. Now, Maria Theresa was named after her paternal grandmother, Maria Theresa, who was Holy Roman Empress. At the time of her birth, in 1767, our Maria Theresa was styled Archduchess of Austria and a Princess of Tuscany. At the age of 20, Maria Theresa was married to Prince Anthony of Saxony and they had four children together, but sadly, none survived infancy. In 1806, Maria Theresa and her family fled to Prague during the war against Napoleon. At the death of her brother-in-law in in 1827, she became Queen Consort of Saxony for a few short months. Maria Theresa died on the 7th of November that same year in 1827, in Leipzig, Saxony, at 60 years old. So let's say goodbye to Maria Theresa and 1827 and travel east 600 miles across Europe. As we close our eyes, let's imagine it's almost 60 years earlier. We have arrived in the bustling city of London, which was quickly becoming the largest city in Europe. This week in royal history, Princess Augusta Sophia was born at Buckingham House on the 8th of November, 1768. Augusta Sophia's parents were King George III and Queen Charlotte of the United Kingdom. Yes, that's right. It's that Charlotte, the one portrayed in Netflix's drama Bridgerton. Buckingham House at the time was being extensively remodeled from a townhouse, previously owned by the Duke of the same name, to a sophisticated residence for the Queen and her children. Later it would be formally expanded by Augusta's brothers, King George IV and King William IV, into the impressive palace we know today. As the sixth child out of fourteen, Augusta was constantly surrounded by siblings. It was very obvious that the monarchs were not only devoted to one another, but had a mutual attraction, which was easily observed by the consistent filling of nursery cribs. Queen Charlotte went above and beyond in her royal duty by producing three male heirs first, only then having her long-desired daughter, Charlotte, the Princess Royal, in 1766. If only our Tudor monarchs could have had such luck. Can you imagine? Augusta was notably attached to her closest sisters, Princess Charlotte and the younger Elizabeth born in 1770. They often wore dresses that were identical in every way except for color. The princesses were celebrities in their own right and extremely sought after. They were, after all, very well educated in English, French, German, and geography, as well as the feminine necessities of dancing, art, and music. These impressive girls were adored by their powerful parents. The royal residences were filled with love, but also an almost suffocating protectiveness. As they would soon discover, no one seemed good enough for the king's daughters. Augusta was very close to her brothers, and as they started to grow up and part ways for royal duty, she corresponded with them frequently, keeping them up to date on gossip and the goings-on in England. Two of the siblings, whom she frequently wrote to, later became kings, as we mentioned George Fourth and William Fourth. Her fourth brother, Prince Edward, was the first male heir to have a legitimate child survive a very special child indeed, the future Queen Victoria, who came to the throne after her uncle, King William IV, died in 1837. King George's protectiveness and lack of solidifying matches probably pushed Augusta into Major General Sir Brent Spencer's arms in 1800. A letter was discovered, thought to be written, in 1812. In it, Augusta writes with ardor about the object of her 12-year affection, almost begging her brother, the prince regent, to give her permission to marry him. She doesn't name who it is, but it has been deduced that she was referring to Brent Spencer. It's believed that they stay together in a clandestine relationship until his death in 1828. Augusta attended the wedding of her niece, Queen Victoria, who she freely gave advice and guidance. Princess Augusta died on the 22nd of September, 1840, at the age of 71, at Clarence House, and she was buried at St. George's Chapel in Windsor. Now, let's travel back in time to 14th century Paris, and witnessed the birth of another royal princess. Isabella of Valois was born this week on the 9th of November, 1389. Isabella came into the world at the newly renovated and luxuriously expanded Louvre Castle. She was the first child of King Charles VI to live past toddlerhood, and therefore was a valuable asset. Not as valuable as a son but potentially useful nonetheless. Isabella was adored by her parents and showered with gifts and attention. As the oldest child of a powerful monarch, her marriage would need to be both politically and dynastically advantageous. Isabella's birth came smack in the middle of the Hundred Years' War. England and France had been embroiled in bitter battles for 50 years and many magnates reveled in this turmoil, partly from lining their pockets plundering, and partly from the glory that came with war. Controversially, Charles and King Richard II of England craved peace and looked to end their deadly rivalry. By 1396, it was agreed that six-year-old Princess Isabella of Valois would be wed to the 29-year-old widower, King of England. The monarchs and their enormous entourages gathered in France in October 1496 in an elaborate and extravagant meeting. The two kings laid the charm and chivalry on as thick as they possibly could while presenting each other with expensive gifts and displays of affection. They then formally agreed to a 28-year truce between the two countries. Following the successful summit, a glittering wedding took place in Calais as little Isabella was donned in the finest garments and jewels. Her adult husband's tenderness and consideration towards her would have helped put her at ease. We can only imagine the excitement, nervousness, and pride she felt. And after the wedding, the couple embarked on a journey to London for her coronation. The little queen, as she was known, must have been delighted with the pomp and circumstance as she was crowned Queen of England at Westminster Abbey in 1397. Queen Isabella resided at Windsor Castle with her own court and was surrounded by important and trusted noble ladies, including Catherine Swinford, Duchess of Lancaster. For the next two years, Richard visited Isabella and is believed to have developed a loving, almost paternal fondness for her. For the next two years, Richard visited Isabella, and is believed to have developed a loving, almost paternal fondness for her. She, in return, adored him. She only knew him for the attentive and generous man he was with her, and luckily never got to see the side we are all too familiar with. When Richard was formally deposed and imprisoned, Isabella may not have had any idea. When she finally realized he was dead, she was understandably distressed, heartbroken, and probably enraged at the audacity of the new King Henry IV's proposed marriage between her and his heir, Henry of Monmouth. She was only 11 years old, but strong in conviction, and refused the proposal, To her relief, Henry IV finally allowed her to return home to her parents, accompanied by her jewels, but not her enormous dowry. Five years later, on the 29th of June, 1406, 16-year-old Isabella was wed to 11-year-old Charles, the heir of the Duke of Orleans. Her father-in-law was violently murdered the following year and the couple became the new duke and duchess of Orleans. In 1409, when Charles was 14 and Isabella was 19, she gave birth to her only daughter, Joan. However, Isabella tragically died in childbirth, as was so often the case in those times. Isabella's daughter Joan would go on to become the Duchess of Elicon. As we leave Isabella in France, we cross the English Channel and arrive at the capital city of London, 70 years later. This week in royal history, on the 10th of November, 1480, Queen Elizabeth Woodville and King Edward IV welcomed their last child, a daughter, Bridget of York. She was born at Eltham Palace, the favorite residence of her father, who had recently completed construction of the massive Great Hall. Here, many lavish Christmases would be celebrated in the decades to come. Unexpectedly, a few years later, in 1483, her father, King Edward, died. This would have been a terrifying and confusing period for the tiny Bridget. When Queen Elizabeth's brother, Anthony Woodville, and Bridget's half-brother, Richard Gray, were arrested by her uncle, Richard, Duke of Gloucester, Bridget and her other sisters were gathered up by their mother and rushed to Westminster Abbey, seeking sanctuary. The list of traumatic events that occurred while the girls were in refuge are too much to go into here. So we'll continue our story almost a year later, when the Dowager Queen felt it was as safe as it would get, and she and the girls could finally leave the Abbey in sanctuary. The following year, Richard, now the king, was defeated by Henry Tudor. King Henry had partially gained support on the promise that he would wed Bridget's oldest sister, Elizabeth, thus uniting the two houses and finally bringing peace to the realm. After the wedding and the coronation of her sister, now queen, Bridget joined the Dartford Priory and became a nun. While it is uncertain if this was her choice or not, We know that she lived here for the rest of her life. Bridget did journey outside the Priory once for her mother's funeral at Windsor Castle in 1492. I'm sure it brought her some happiness and comfort to be reunited with her sisters Anne and Catherine, who were also in attendance. Her sister, the Queen, was unable to attend due to her confinement awaiting the birth of her fourth child. Queen Elizabeth kept up a relationship with Bridget and was recorded to have sent money to her and the prioress in 1502 and 1503. While we do not know the exact year of Bridget's death, it was before December 1507 as it was recorded in Henry VII's account book that he purchased the marble stone covering her tomb. Sadly, the stone bought for her by her brother-in-law would have been destroyed. Or possibly reused during the dissolution of the priory after 1539. Henry VIII kept the site and buildings for his own personal use. And that concludes this week's highlights from This Week in Royal History. New episodes out every Sunday. I'm Rebecca Larson. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.